What's up, everyone? Welcome to the next episode of Cloud Security Podcast. Today, our guest is Sane Jenka. A lot of you may already know her from the DevSecOps community or from the OWASP community, depending on where you come from. She was previously known as a cloud security advocate for Microsoft. Since leaving Microsoft, she has been busy writing a book over the Christmas period, so I really appreciate she took out the time. And I do apologize in advance for some of the noises you would hear in the background for the podcast, but I really appreciate that Tanya took the time out for the episode. I hope you get value out of the episode. And before we get into the episode, as always, a word from our sponsor. Hey, what's up, everyone? A lot of people ask me how do I get started on a podcast. One of the easiest ways that I've found to start a podcast is through an app called Anchor. They have a web version and a mobile version. The best part about the app is that you can record directly from your phone. And they have background music that you can use along with your podcast as you do introduction. It has tons of features for podcast. The best part is it takes care of the distribution as well. It distributes to Apple, Google, Spotify, some of the major providers of podcast. So they take care of the distribution and also on top of it, they pay you money for running ads on your podcast. So to get started on your podcast today, head to anchor.fm. Also check out help.anchor.fm where they have a lot of useful information for people who are starting out on podcasts. So just go out and start your own podcast today. Hello and welcome to Cloud Security Podcast. My name is Ashish. I'm here with a really special friend of mine, Tanya Jenka. Hi, Tanya. Hi. Tanya, I obviously, I'm sure a lot of people in the audience would know who you are, but for people who don't know you, could you just introduce yourself? I am Tanya Jenka, also known as She Hacks Purple. And um, often I just tell people I'm a nerd on the internet, but a lot of people have told me that's not a very accurate description. (laughs) (laughs) I'm obsessed with the security of software cloud security and just how to move our industry forward so that we can have a lot less stories of data breaches in our future. Yes, we definitely want less less stories of data breaches and more people in purple team and blue team means, hopefully means less breaches. The first segment of the podcast is usually around the what, why and how around. And my first question most of the time is what is cloud security for you? Because there's so many definitions floating around. What does it mean for you? Cloud security is the act of trying to make sure your cloud deployment is secure. Very boring. Um, Basically, cloud is different than on-prem. There's a lot more modern application and networking practices that are different. So on-prem, most on-premises, which means in your own data center, most places don't have, um, for instance, like a DevOps pipeline. Some do, but not as many as in the cloud. Um, A lot of them don't have serverless or containers, or uh, just the plethora of different options. They definitely don't have platform as a service, like for hosting your web apps. Just things are different on premises. You have a lot less options. And if you do have more unusual options, it's because you are manually doing them and creating those options yourself. So because we have more modern infrastructure, more modern application development and hosting, That means we have to adjust the way we do our security and we have to modernize it and we have to make sure we're accounting for not only all the legacy stuff, but also all the new stuff. And so cloud security is not just networking. I believe that's also securing more modern application deployment. To your point about it's modern application, 
does it vary between a startup and an enterprise? Oh, yeah. I find so a startup will have one or two apps and then like you know one serverless app and a little script over here and because there's only like three people that work there they all remember what those things are but an enterprise has had people start and leave and start and leave there's that guy that's been there 20 years (laughs) all of the knowledge the corporate memory all lives in his head and if he leaves everyone's screwed (laughs) Oh yeah, that's that's right. That that one guy that people like, please do not leave ever. <laughs> yeah, I used to work somewhere, and there's this woman named Simone, and she had worked there over twenty years. And my manager would just refer to her as my corporate memory. Oh really? <laughs> corporate memory, come here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if that's like really a good like long-term plan. Like maybe we should have someone take notes or something. But yeah, yeah. Or at least just download the corporate memory somewhere. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm um, like, what if he quits? He's like, no, no, she'll stay forever. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about corporate memory makes me think, actually, you work in the Azure space quite, quite extensively. And I work mm-hmm. in the AWS space quite extensively. But there's almost like, there is a state now where multi-cloud is becoming a thing. Would you agree with multi-cloud? And what does multi-cloud mean for you? Okay, so AWS was first, then uh, Azure and GCP decided they would offer public clouds. And now there's all sorts of public clouds, but those are the ones that matter. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what people talk about. Although Google Cloud is still debatable, but... People are already tweeting at me. I'm a jerk. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I think that a lot of people all got deep in bed with AWS. And uh, a lot of companies, they migrated all the way. Yeah. All the way into AWS, so everything's in there. And then they realized, oh my gosh, AWS isn't a country. <laughs> it's it's a corporation. It's run by a human. And you know, like I don't think that they're gonna go out of business anytime soon. It's a dangerous thing to put all of your eggs in one basket, and it's a basket that you did not make, that you that, don't get to control. Right. Why. So a lot of them are all doing now multi-cloud. So some of our stuff will be in AWS, some of it will be in Azure. If you're really wild, I've seen some places where they also have GCP. I'm like, is this like no one knows what they want? Yeah, like, I that's feel right. Like two clouds is good, but three clouds seems like a like bit you, too much. Like, well, you're adding a lot of extra complexity. Like, if the idea is redundancy, like, it to me, it doesn't make sense to have three, three but whatever. Uh, it's their bills, not mine. But <laughs> yeah. the idea of multi cloud is that you have some in one cloud and some in another. I used to work somewhere and we were not allowed to use the cloud because of um, Canadian data sovereignty laws. Sure. The Canadian government's data can't leave Canadian government soil. Mm. Um, And so since then, all three major cloud providers have created data centers within Canada. So that's different now, but at the time we couldn't do that. And we we had like this giant data center that, that we would use, but we were really concerned about rollover And so we had this giant room in the basement. I'm like, why don't we make our own second data center and have a bunch of stuff there and we'll have it be warm or hot, right? And we'll have like one app that runs from there or two that aren't important, like just old crap. Yeah. But then have the backup in the the real data center, have everything else run from the real data center and have backups that are in the basement of our building. So we're hot, hot. Yeah. And everyone's just like, you're crazy, Tanya. We're never Uh going to need that. Anyway, I'm not going to get into it, but (laughs) the idea is if you have, if you have two clouds, right. And you have some of your stuff in one, especially if you have your backup, like, yes, you're backing up in your cloud of choice, but then you have another like once per day 
in another cloud, but also specifically that is geographically differing. So you don't want all of your stuff just in California, because yeah. what if, I don't know, something happens that's less than ideal to the data center there, yep. you're screwed. You definitely, now that we have this ability, definitely want it to be like the other side of the coast, maybe another continent, like we have yeah. these abilities now. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think it's interesting one as well. I guess we have a better mix of that in Australia and also another mix where a lot of people have chosen, say, Google Cloud because they found that they only wanted to work on, uh, what's that word for, NTR applications or whatever, uh, whatever it's called. Basically, everyone wants to go serverless or everyone wants to make modern applications. No one wants to be bogged down by legacy applications. So mm -hmm. people who want to go down the path of saying, oh, we only do projects in Google. And they really sell the fact that, well, if you want to make modern applications, Google Cloud is the way forward. And then obviously Azure and AWS kind of started pitching the same thing. Serverless happened over there as well. Then Kubernetes mm -hmm. kind of became popular. But what we kind of, at least what I'm seeing at our end is um, for a lot of BigQuery, Google Cloud seems to be doing really well for big data. Mm -hmm. And for some of the people that I've spoken to, what they're saying is uh, they prefer Azure for platform as a service, amazing as a platform as a service. Mm -hmm. And uh, AWS is good for an IaaS, like an infrastructure as a service. Although they're trying to, everyone's trying to grab everything that they can on the cloud oh, market. Yeah. So everyone yeah. has a service for every, everything in there. I think that if you can get any piece of the cloud market, you're going to be a very happy, rich person for a really long time. Like they measure their profits in trillions and billions, wow. not millions. Yeah. yeah. I, need to buy, like, I need to buy some shares. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like it, it is very, 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 very profitable. <laughs> um, like if you see articles comparing like how much money each of the big three bring in, it's just like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a country's budget. It's, a, it's not an individual's company. It's a country's budget sometimes and you're like, or a continent's oh, budget. Oh yeah, for sure. That's but a lot of money being spent. Yeah, I think um, it depends on the thing that you want and also like why you're choosing. So like businesses often make decisions based on how much something costs, Yep. right? But. I, as an individual, often make choices based on business practices, the environment, and uh, I don't know if you know, but Azure and GCP are both um, carbon neutral, but oh. AWS is not. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever seen a cloud data center, but it's um, it's like bigger than Melbourne. Oh, like really? A cloud data center is gigantic. It's the size of a city. I just There's imagine it to be like a, just another data center, so it's like that no. big. It's, it's the size of a city. They're gigantic and they have one in a, like, I'm sure there's at least one for each cloud in, in Australia. Yeah. Certainly in Canada, like we have one for each of the big clouds, if not two, I think for Microsoft maybe. And they might not be quite that big there, but the ones in America are just, they're like, if you see the overall aerial view, like it's like, it's like the, like the whole downtown and then some of Melbourne, like the city core. Wow. It's, it's, Wow, big. Yeah. And so that much being not carbon neutral versus carbon neutral, like I'm kind of a hippie. I know mm -hmm. I took a lot of airplanes last year. <laughs> um, but I did that for work. And in my personal life, I compost, I do all the things, I recycle, I reduce and reuse. <laughs> yeah. Sustainability is the way. Yeah. So if, if like from a personal standpoint, I'm like, oh, carbon neutral is important to me. If that makes sense. That's an, that's an interesting one. 
I think it's a good way for us to share kind of notes on what differences would be between AWS and Azure. I guess the next question I was going to ask was, how does someone do cloud security in Azure for someone who's starting off? As you go along that through Azure first, and then I can add in AWS and we can probably see yeah. if they, how similar or how different they are, apart from just not being carbon neutral. By the way, AWS, if you guys listen to this, please be carbon neutral. Please be carbon neutral. We would yes. love that. That's right. <laughs> cool. Um, so what do, what do you recommend as, I guess, the basic building blocks of security for anyone who's going on Azure right today? Uh, the very first thing you would do is turn on Azure Security Center and then they will guide you. So oh. yeah, so they have like a, a thing and there's a free version and a paid version, but the free version is absolutely outstanding. It works really well. I give workshops on it all the time. And basically like you flip it on and it's like having a network expert give you advice. They're like, hey, I see that over there. That is not in your network security group. Do you think maybe it should be? Oh, oh you're missing critical patches there. I would like you to add those, please. Is that, is that something that, uh, I think it's called subscription in Azure, right? So is this- um, So you turn it on per subscription, yeah. Right, so is there like a centralized view for it or is it, I have to go in each of the, oh, I guess that's even better. So Yeah, so you can turn it, so like let's say you and I work for a company and you're my boss and then some other person is your boss. So the top boss, assuming they have owner permissions over ours, will be able to see theirs, yours, and mine. But I would just see mine. Right, okay. Oh, so, so you, that's you it. could take it away even so that you're like, I don't trust Tanya to know her security stuff. Obviously oh. not. <laughs> so you can keep that information private and it'll tell you stuff like, oh, those boxes aren't monitored. Oh, that's not, that database isn't turned on. Logging's not turned on. We suggest this. It also has like application security advice, such as... Um, so this platform as a service is allowing this app to be accessed via HTTP, not just HTTPS, or you have cores set to star. That seems less than ideal. Right. right. Hey, did you know that your certificate's about to expire? You have 30 days. Maybe you should deal with that now instead of after bad things happen. It's uh, less sarcastic than me. It's a lot more professional and Microsoft-y. Yeah, yeah, of course. So the first thing I do, I, in, so I like run these little workshops and then I load all of this infrastructure and security as code, awful stuff, into their subscriptions. Like, oh, right. And then we secure so, it together. Ah, right, right. Oh, that makes sense. So actually, I didn't realize you were in workshops for this as well. That's a great idea. Security center, as a startup, you may only have one subscription, but as an enterprise, maybe even at each business unit can have their own subscription and manage their security like that. So very DevOps friendly as well. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. And then... Azure also has Azure DevOps. So I, I think Google has one, but I don't know if AWS has their own. It's like, like a, in the pipeline? Yeah, the pipeline software. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They call it AWS Code Pipeline. So they, they okay. have their own version. Yeah, cool. So they have that and it integrates with, with their um, secret store and will take your secrets out and manage it all for you. And then like they have all these free tools that you can click in. So I'm doing um doing a workshop at RSA. If you're going to RSA, it's free, come. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just going to teach everyone like, okay, so let's build pipeline, like just plain Jane one, but then let's add all these cool security tools to it. And then like see, and then let's catch bug, right? Oh, like, oh right. no, we have this old version of SSL. That's not acceptable. Oh no, this is happening. No. Oh, I think this kind of brings us to another part where once you find the problem, how do you get someone to work on it? Yeah, that's a whole other matter. I have it so it breaks the build depending upon the level of the problem. Do you actually break the build? 
on, on mine, yes. Oh, on yours. Yeah, okay. Because I was yeah. going to say enterprise would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's on here? This yeah, is no. just not acceptable. Um, I think certain things should just break the build though. Oh, like, I, I agree. I'm just curious in terms of how this plays out in an Azure world. How does a security person who's trying to be, I guess, DevSecOps for lack of a better word, and mm-hmm. they've integrated their security. Actually, what does it look like? Uh, DevSecOps and Azure world, what does it look like? Is it integrated into a DevOps pipeline or is it a separate pipeline for security? What does it look it like? It depends for- on the AppSec person. So my definition of DevSecOps is an AppSec person doing their job in a DevOps environment. It's the same application security goals Yep. But you have to adjust because dev and ops are doing different things. So you have to adjust or you're going to be left behind. Yep. And so if, if they have a pipeline, I want to be in the pipeline. I want to have little checks that are very, very important. Right. And then I would, I would love to have a second pipeline, like a parallel security pipeline. And it's like, if you could just kick off your code in this and Friday, it's not going to publish. It's not going to do anything. I just want to do like those long, big, slow SaaS scans or like static application security testing or dynamic application security testing, things like that. Like nice, slow, long, where I'm not annoying anyone. I'm not in their build pipeline. I'm in mine and it doesn't go anywhere. I just want the result. Right, right. And that's a great example as well, because to to your point, if it's something serious, you probably start the pipeline. But if it's like a medium risk, then you assess it. High risk, clearly break, break the pipeline right then and there. Yeah. What about false positives and I guess dealing with false positives? I am a big fan of testing things first before you put in the pipeline so everyone still likes you later. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep. So Uh, if you can put it in the pipeline and have it on alerting and not breaking. So with Azure, you can set it like don't break the pipeline or it's it's okay if you break it or it's not. Also, Azure has um, SaaS tools as well? No, no, they don't oh, have their own test tool. I mean, like when you add a test, right. choose it breaks or it doesn't break. So you can just get all of the information that the tool gives, but without stopping it. And you can say like, even if this step fails, just continue on with the pipeline. I just want to run it and see the test results, but like, don't stop, keep going. Um, oh, and so right. do that first, yep. right? Check it out. So when I was doing stuff with the OWASP DevSlop project, yep. We would, well, we smashed our build all the time because oh. it's just us, right? But eventually yep. when I'm like, okay, so we'll set this as our goal. And if something happens and it goes, you know, above that, then we break. Because then we had like a baseline to follow, if that makes sense. And then we stopped breaking it all the time. Or if we broke it, it was a good reason. Is there an example of a company that where you think this has been done really well? Yeah, there's lots and lots of companies that will that tell you about it. So like Shannon Leitz from Intuit, she has a million awesome stories of like really cool stuff that she does there. Or um, Asta Sing- Singla, I'm saying her last name wrong. I'm sorry, Asta from Netflix. Right. She has like a million cool stories of things that she's done uh, and that her team has built. If I'm an AWS person listening to this, and I have Azure coming down the pipeline. I know it's just around the corner. We spoke about multi-cloud, which we clearly clearly know is a thing. It's a thing in US and Canada. It's definitely a thing in Australia as well. So I'm pretty sure anyone else who's listening from any other country would agree they have it coming in their pipeline as well. I was thinking maybe if we split this, almost like compare Azure to AWS, but on certain topics like say identity management, what does that look like? backup and recovery, uh, what does that look like? In terms of if they're cloud native options, let's go with that. I think that it might be slightly predictable because 
what I have seen with the three big clouds is that whenever them, one of them has this awesome idea, the other two implement it like a month later. <laughs> and so, like or at least have a version of or an MVP version of it for people to kind of be guinea pigs for it. At least that's how yeah, it works in no. our AWS world. Like whatever super cool thing I've seen in Azure, I'm like, oh, that's how you do it in AWS. Cool, good. I just didn't know the name. But it, it turns out you can do almost all the same awesome things in all of them. I don't know if it's with Azure as well, but what AWS I find every new service they, uh, they introduce, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an MVP. Let's just say that it's, it's almost feels like a startup has created a product and they've released it out in the wild. And the first few users are the beta users. Yes. That's so true. It's so true. You're is that the same right. case with Azure as well? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Like they have like a, a new service and you're like, oh, I'm going to, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, I've heard a lot of people complain that they felt, I guess, that Azure wasn't like right when they started, that it wasn't enterprise ready because they're used to things from Microsoft being like glossy and perfect. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yep. that feel of like very professional. It's a very high quality. Like they're not messing around. And they're like, oh my God, it's not quite perfect. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and I think to your point earlier, because AWS came before and had a lot more on, on the scoreboard, mm-hmm. they, Azure kind of had like, oh my, they, had a, they almost had like a mountain to climb before they could even talk, compare yeah. themselves, right? But because they had the brand name, they were instantly compared to AWS. Yes. And also I think too, because Visual Studio Code is the number one code editor in the world. It's the most used. I, mean, I use it um, as well, so... Yeah, yeah, an SQL server, yeah, very, yeah, very well used database. That's right. .NET used to make most things. And yep. then also, unfortunately, <laughs> Microsoft Access is still one of the <laughs> most popular databases in the world. No way. People still use Microsoft Access. Yes, there's so much legacy crap running in that you would not. Isn't that end of license as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the last <laughs> time I heard of Microsoft Access when I wasn't. I don't know, uni, it's, school, or somewhere like, I don't even remember. That, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, not all the time, but often clients are like, what do we do about the access apps? I mean, like, besides be ashamed of yourselves? Yeah, it's like. It's <laughs> uh, not in production, <laughs> is it? They're just like, uh, <laughs> It is in production. Oh, my God. Just kidding. I, I never shame my clients. It's bad, right? I'm like, okay, we can do better. Like, how can we port that, et cetera? Or just like put it in a container and seal it with like a million locks. Yeah, maybe we need to do that. (laughs) Oh, oh my God. Yeah, it's scary because we become, um, we are all guinea pigs to a trillion dollar data centers. (laughs) But it may be a good idea for us to at least compare, at least least on a few topics. Like identity management at scale, how does that work in Azure? Azure AD, Azure Active Directory. And it can go across to your other cloud. So single sign-on? And manage all of it with one sign-on. Yeah. Ooh. Also Azure AD coupled with, uh, so I guess I'm thinking like an enterprise, I would need an Azure AD and a few subscriptions for each of my business unit with, I guess, uh, like a top hierarchy for whoever manages everything else, I guess, like a tech lead or a DevOps leader, I guess, and single sign-on across all of them through Azure AD. Well, does yeah. that go into applications as well, or is it just the platform subscription? It can. So, you ooh. can do basically whatever you, like, it's, I mean, I, Active Directory is the most used one. There's another reason why Azure just went like this, right? It's like we already have all the stuff. Yeah, that's right. And they plus enable a sync between Azure and uh, Azure AD and AD as well. So, well, conveniently. I think what I found interesting with Azure AD um, in general, and this is, I don't know if it's true or not, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people are saying uh, that initially 
Microsoft, the way it was approaching uh, selling Azure was, oh, we'll give you X number of uh, free credits on Azure. Because you have Azure AD already and you have Office 365, why don't you try Azure? And I think I'm like, yeah. that's a great way to sell it. It just like clicks in perfectly. Like if you are an, uh, like a .NET dev shop, you like flick some buttons and you're into Azure. Like it's like really like they have migration tool. You're just like, oh, we're in Azure now. Woo! Oh. <laughs> right. So that's how they did it. Like just like we already have all the awesome stuff. Yep. Let us set it all up and just run it for you. And it's like, yep. well, that does sound quite appealing. That's yes. The, yeah, of course. And the easier you make it for the customer, the more, um, I guess, you should they become. They have to stay for longer. I feel like I should mention I used to work at Microsoft and I don't work there anymore, but I'm still allowed to fangirl as much as I want. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, and I'm pretty sure people would not judge you for because I think even though I guess you're, you're, you're sharing the other side of Microsoft, but you're still sharing it with love. It's kind of like your favorite child, right? Everyone just still talk about bad things, but wait, wait, wait. I, I can say bad things. You cannot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm like back off. Yeah, that's right. Friends that work there. That's right. <laughs> to your point earlier about there's a similar service for everything. So AWS has identity management, obviously, which has, which, which you can have local users uh, if mm-hmm. you're a startup. But then now, I think over the past year, they've introduced something called AWS SSO, which is similar to as Azure AD. So single okay. sign-on onto another AWS account, and oh. the, the scaling would be similar. You would have a organization hierarchy where someone's like at the top hierarchy and then they basically lease our policies at the bottom. So yeah, you're right. It's kind of like, huh, seems very similar. Just different services, different names, but kind of the same thing. Yeah. I believe that the Azure identity, or no, sorry, the uh, AWS identity system, what is it called? As IAM. Also, I think the single sign-on one or the IAM users? The IAM users. Yeah, the local users. Okay. Yeah, they, they are created locally on the AWS accounts. But I think that it can also manage identity within Azure. I think that they made it so that it was interoperable. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So before AWS SSO came along, um, they had almost like a, they had a service called, or this, well, they still have AWS Cognito and they still allow you to federate your AWS account to an Azure AD. Because if you're going to have a multi-cloud strategy, I would say the first most important thing would be that you only have one system to manage identity across like your on-prem and your clouds 100 percent, 100 percent, and i think um that's probably the it's, it's i consider identity to be the key to to, to your cloud kingdom and yes. one key to rule them all right yes and actually while we're talking about one key let's talk about two everyone everyone ever for their cloud credentials should have multi-factor authentication oh on. yeah mfa Azure will will give you a talking to if you don't. It'll be like, this is an owner subscription. We would really like you to turn it on. Yep, yep. The same thing in AWS as well. Like MFA. Number one. Yeah. And well, I was going to say, do you have a stand on using soft tokens or hard tokens? Or because in in AWS, it's software token or hardware token. Um, Is the same in Azure or is there like a mobile phone option as well? 
there's a mobile phone option. Um, so Microsoft makes Microsoft Authenticator, just like Google makes Google Authenticator. Authenticator yeah, yeah. And I don't know if Amazon makes one, but I would suspect they do. They don't. I, no, I don't think they have an Authenticator. Not that I know of. Unless, well, as we space, release this podcast, they get released a guinea pig service for everyone to use. Like, <laughs> oh. Yeah, there you go. You, you, you thought we didn't have an Authenticator service? There you go. Like, but, <laughs> but it doesn't work. But no, it's a, but there's a service. <laughs> <laughs> but, but basically like i use the microsoft authenticator app on my phone right. so uh it so then i have to get into my phone and then i actually was giving like this big demo uh on stage for microsoft ignite the tour and then cloud shell which is like their um like their bash shell for right, azure right, right locked me out on stage in the middle of a demo and i'm like so i, I i'm gonna break up with a cloud shell after this uh after this this demo but for now i'm like i'm gonna log in and then i did three factor authentication because i had to like have my phone a thing you have and then yep. i had to have my password to get into my phone and then i used my fingerprint to authenticate with the authenticator app and i'm like three factor authentication score oh, accidental wow. excellent demo oh wow <laughs> well there is it is still multi-factor though because like three <laughs> oh my god yeah that would have been annoying because that's an awesome way to uh, kind of like take off identity management. Logging and monitoring. What's the Azure play on that? So they, they do those things. As far as I know, monitoring is pricey. That's what I'm told. Ooh. Everyone is just keeps saying Pricey for collection as in for storing logs? Just that the monitoring is pricey compared to the other two clouds. I don't know because I have never paid my own Azure bill because I worked for Microsoft. They paid it for so long. And now I'm doing like silly little free trials and like below the, yeah, anyway. Yeah, the free tier. <laughs> oh yeah, because there's free tier in AWS as well. I just I just look out for the credits. Like each event yeah. that I go to from AWS, I just get the $100 credit and <laughs> keep applying it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to be doing some of that soon to make my workshop for RSA. <laughs> I oh, don't wanna spend like thousands of dollars creating my workshop. Oh, so, so in login monitoring, is that like a separate service for auditing versus just logging? Yeah, yeah, so you turn on monitoring and then the logging is like storing that rather than just watching. Does that uh -huh. make sense? Right, right. And it then, does. Um, and then you can also turn on threat protection. So where it will actively stop threats rather than just telling you about them. All right. So threats, which would be from an external feed or threats, which are from Microsoft only, like what does that work? Um, so if they see something and they're like, oh, someone appears to be trying to empty your database. That oh. looks bad. <laughs> or it can, like, it can do that as in. Yeah, it's um, the threat protection. That would be user behavior, right? I think it's, it's like a, is that, that would be the kind of threat it's protecting against, user behavior? Um, yeah, like that's for the database threat protection. There's also stuff like, um, you know, there's this login and that looks weird. Like Tanya's in Paris, now Tanya's in Bangladesh. Oh, it's the like, geolocation thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, so some are more obvious. Um, it does like this you know, like every cool security tool does machine learning, obviously. Oh, clearly. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why are we even like putting that in here? Which right. surely, I mean, it's like a default, right? These days. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it will, it will learn about you and eventually it'll be like, Hey, that employee is trying to escalate their privilege and then they're trying to delete. So like when I quit, um, 
I like was shutting down all my accounts because I didn't, I didn't want to like make bills for them after I leave. Right. So course, I had all these yeah. demo accounts and so I was deleting them and then I was trying to delete the backups. Right. Uh -huh. Because they're demo accounts. I don't need them. And Azure's like, Oh no. Mm -mm. Really? Because if it was a real business situation, as opposed to a demo, you wouldn't want employee quitting and then deleting the database and then deleting the backup of the database. So they made it wait 14 business days so that it would be past the amount of notice you gave. Oh. And, like, and it gave updates like to my subscription and my subscription owner. So my boss knew that I had done it, although my boss asked me to do it, so it was okay. And so then I actually ended up assigning another employee to delete it for me after I left. Because I don't wanna, I don't wanna be that jackass that leaves. And then it's like, oh, and they get this giant bill after I go, right? Like right. I mean, when I leave somewhere, I wanna like leave it as nice as, as I found it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, fair enough. I, like they're like, oh, have you done this and this? I'm like, yes. And then this person is gonna like delete that after. And like, it wouldn't allow me, despite the fact being the super duper duper owner, to delete my own backup. It's like, no, we need, um, we need a management check on this because that's a risky behavior. In the AWS space, I guess AWS splits the whole logging, monitoring, and auditing a bit. They have like a cloud trail, which is just does um, auditing of the account, which looks after account, but it doesn't create some kind of a threat notification. And they didn't have this kind of a threat notification service for a very long time. Um, they started a service called CloudWatch, which was a logging service or logging applications. You still had to kind of tell your application to go and log. But what I find interesting is maybe after the threat protection thing that you mentioned, mm -hmm. IWS like, well, we should be doing something about this. I know what we'll do, create guard duty. Sound like a similar thing, but so, and guard duty does exactly pretty much. It doesn't, I don't think it's smart enough to say that, oh, so she's trying to do an admin function. It doesn't do that. I, it okay. does look at, oh, Tanya is coming from uh, Canada, but two minutes later, she's coming from Bangladesh. So it definitely yeah. does the geolocation part. It mm -hmm. definitely does uh, scans of logs for seeing any, I guess, Bitcoin mining happening, which that's considering that's the most popular thing on AWS. Mining for Monero. A lot harder for, so I guess like the signature for Bitcoin's really, really obvious and cloud platforms can tell immediately. But when it comes for Monero, it's a lot harder. And so Monero is like a kind of digital currency? currency. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, there you go. I wonder when, um, obviously, if, if we ask AWS, we'll adding more services. So you would hear about it when you see it. I'm like, thank you. Uh, that was like a, not the response I was after, but sure. I, th I think it's in your radar. That's good to know. Um, I think the logging and monitoring, um, the other one that I wanted to ask, I'm trying to think what, are, what other elements. So identity management is great and you scale, logging, monitoring, backup and recovery. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a backup account earlier. So, well, now when I think about it, there is actually equivalent AWS services for backup now. But I don't know if, if, would, if it would stop you from deleting the backup, which I like that feature where it stops you because you're absolutely right in thinking, that an a, a person who's leaving could be a disgruntled employee as well. So it's, it's a great uh, check from Azure. We definitely have thought about this a bit more. Um, they, have, they have a bunch more of them. Um, I don't know all of them, and I don't know if I'm allowed saying them. They what, have, what's um, the Sentinel then? What does Sentinel so, do? Yeah, so Sentinel is their SIM. So it's like oh. snort. Um, so it's like a theme service, like a um, yeah, it is. security incident and management, and I just want to say that, event management. management, there you go, yes. I was like, what's that yeah. E for? 
Yeah, so it's, um, it's advertised as the first uh, cloud native sim. So it's made specifically for the cloud. And it's also supposed to be the quietest sim. So it apparently gives almost no false positives ever. So it's very wow. quiet. Yeah, um, but if it hits something, you probably better run around because it's probably big. Ooh, <laughs> I haven't right. seen that much of it yet because it's, it's so new. Uh, mm -hmm. It's about a year old. Um, and, but uh, one of, uh, a hacker came up to me at a conference and he's like, I got Sentinel and I was like, okay. And he's like, and it's bullshit. And I was like, <laughs> oh, please tell me more. And he's like, I threw all these hacks at it. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, and then it caught them. And I was like, okay. He's like, and then that's it. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, it caught all the things that all the attacks I did. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, and then it didn't say anything else. And he's like, no other alerts. I'm like, maybe nothing else happened. He's like, that's too good to be true. I can tell it's not good. It must be faking. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, really? Wait, so, so I'm like, so it caught everything wrong that you did. And then it didn't have any false positives. He's like, yeah, it's bullshit. I'm like, no, that sounds like it's awesome. Oh, <laughs> oh is it? That's a very interesting one. Like, so wait, so is it like a sword system as well? Then it's not a seam. It's like a sword. Is that what is it called? S O A R, like where it's more around, say, if a suspicious action is identified and there's a response. Yeah. So it sounds like a sword system as well. It doesn't respond. It just alerts you. But you can actually like program responses. So if um, so they call them playbooks, but it's really a logic app, which is just a trigger, yeah. and then a, which calls a serverless app that you wrote. Right. right. So you can say, like, if the sim sees this and you're like used to it and you know it's usually accurate, you can say, like, run this playbook, but really it's like trigger this serverless app to run. And then right. you can code in like black hole that IP or shut down that server or like, you know, take away that user's permissions or whatever. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay, cool. And I think that is, is this an expensive service as well? Um, the playbooks, I think, are pretty cheap. I think it's just the cost of a serverless app. Oh, right. Okay. That's, yeah, that sounds pretty cheap. The cost of a logic app. So just the trigger and then just the serverless app. So Sweet. I but Sentinel it's itself? So I don't know how much Sentinel costs. Um, I've been told by people in industry, it costs about the same amount as Snort. It's a great time to move into the next segment. If you're like me and enjoy music, you would definitely love the Spotify app. The Spotify app is one place for all your favorite artists and podcast hosts. Yeah, I know they have podcasts as well. I had no idea. It's a great spot to listen to your favorite artists for free. You don't, you don't have to pay any money for it. You just download the app from your Apple Store or your Google Play and start listening today. They have a premium version as well, which allows you to download songs for, for those times when there is no internet, which happens in some parts of the world. So it's a great app. If you haven't done this already, Go on your Spotify app, search for Cloud Security Podcast. Give us a follow so you don't miss out on an episode. The second segment is offense and defense. And um, basically, it's an incident that you would have been part of. You may have done it yourself, but you don't want to disclose your name. Is there an incident that you can share? And also, you can completely exclude yourself out of it if, you're, uh, if you were somehow responsible for it. <laughs> Um, actually, I'll tell you one where it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to hear that. <laughs> so, um, 
So uh, when I first started, you do know this is being at, recorded, right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. My my boss knew. So when oh, okay. I when I was at Microsoft, um, I like part of my job as a developer advocate would be to make all these lessons and demonstrations. So I was making a demonstration on purpose of um, a username and a password in your code, like a connection string. Right. Right. And so then I used Azure DevOps to check it in. Right. Like, so I was like compile the code and then, and then publish it. So it was a yeah. fake username and password for like a demo database. Right. But it was on purpose that way. Yep. And then, um, and then Azure DevOps was like, Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> it you, like, oh, just, it didn't let you deploy it. Like, well, so it warned me and I was like, do it anyway. Cause I was, I was, um, what was I doing? So I was in visual studio code and I was pushing it to GitHub. Right. And so it pushed to GitHub and then GitHub triggers the, the pipeline and the pipeline's like, <laughs> Don't and, and this. like, I know I'm like, no, no, it's okay. And it gave me like so many warnings and I was like, do it anyway, do it anyway, do it. And, and then it went through and I was like, yeah, that's fine. I don't, I don't care. And then, and then I went out for, or no, no. Then like five minutes later, I get a call from my boss, Tanya, what are you doing? Oh, had told my boss on me. Oh. <laughs> he's like, I just got this like emergency notification from Azure that you just like check credentials into GitHub. And I'm like, no, no, I didn't. It's for this lesson. And he's like, oh, haha, that's so funny. And then, and then we're laughing about it. Right. And he lets me go. And then I go out for dinner with some friends and then the Microsoft incident response team called me. Oh, <laughs> oh because he yeah. didn't action it. And oh my God, it went another level up. I didn't know that it was like, I just figured it stopped there. And they're like, excuse me, ma'am, we need to talk to you. And they're pretty serious. And I <laughs> had oh. apologized a lot. And they're like, if you're going to do things like this on our platform, you need to alert us. We are a serious company. It's like, I was just like, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> my boss was like, Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Way to make yeah. friends with the security team, Tanya. <laughs> yeah, I know. Now you know a few people there now. I know. So eventually, like eventually we're friends, but, um, but I made a very bad first impression. <laughs> <laughs> was this in the yeah. beginning of your job? Yeah, I in... just started. I oh. just, just started. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. yeah but, well. but I kept like reporting real incidents and helping them with stuff. So I think eventually I grew on them and like all the different security teams were really nice to me, but I made a pretty bad first impression with that. Well, that's one way to introduce, your, introduce yourself to the rest of the organization. Yes. yes. Uh, actually, in the, in the government, once I did a pen test and, um, and like I had permission. Yeah. Right. And then I, I started it up. Like I started up my scanner just like to check things out. And then like five minutes later, this woman comes up to my office. She's like, uh, is this you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I sent a, you know, I sent the form to the team and she's like you're also supposed to send it to this team and i was like oh i'm sorry like me and my boss didn't know she's like that's fine but um next time fill the form so i'm like okay but then i worked there for like a year and two or three more times she came into my office she's like tanya is that you and i was like no she's like i have to go oh. she like run out and she's like ah. like she was really she's like i was really hoping that was you i'm like what happened she's like i'm not telling you yeah. <laughs> Wait, was, was that corporate memory by any chance? 
No, that was a different. <laughs> oh, I'm kind of hoping it's corporate memory. <laughs> no, the like... corporate memory was a software developer lady. Oh, this cool. was a threat hunter. She was pretty serious. She's like, Tanya, are you doing something right now? And she, I'm just like, you gotta stop coming in here. I always fill the forms. You only have to tell me once. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh. So considering um, we just shared an incident, which sort of flipped the, to flip to the other side of the coin. What's a, what's yeah. a blue team win that you can share for us? I have to say like that Microsoft incident where they, they caught me and then they caught me, like they tried to stop me. Then yeah. my boss called me and then the team called like, and it all happened in like 14 minutes. That's oh, it was 40 really minutes. Fast. Wow. 14. Oh, I thought it was like it spanned a few hours. No, it was minutes. so fast. Like for me, that's a huge win. Yeah, like if wow. I could find out that my software developer, because I used to be like a team lead for software developers forever. Right. And if I could find out that that happened and I could run to their desk and be like, we need to change those credentials now. Yeah, and then, yeah, and, and in then 40 we'll talk minutes. About it later. Yeah, but like, let's just fix this right now. Because my yeah. boss called me in less than five minutes. If, if that had been, like, if I had been the boss, then I could run over, we could fix the problem together. What's a big conference for Azure, out of curiosity? Like, because I mean, yeah. AWS has AWS reInvent, which is their big announcement thing. What's the equivalent for Azure? Um, Ignite. So they have Microsoft the giant, Ignite. huge Ignite in Orlando, but then they have Microsoft Ignite, the tour, um, which I went on last year and it went to 17 countries, but this year I think they're doing 30. It's a lot. Wow. I was gonna switch gears a bit. Um, okay. And I think we're going to go into a Mythbuster section or segment. Okay. So segment three, Mythbuster, is basically um, questions around what are the myths around cloud security that you see people have? I do uh, consulting a lot. Um, so I'll meet with clients and talk with them about whatever thing they're trying to do and then give them an advice, help them make a plan. Um, and I would say like the two biggest myths, which are very similar is like, so if people are moving to the cloud, a lot of them think that everyone just moved to the cloud in six months or a year. No, it takes like five years. <laughs> if you're a giant legacy, uh, like you're a giant enterprise and you have a bunch of legacy stuff, like a yeah. lot of people are in the hybrid situation where you have some on-prem and some in the cloud for like three to five years. And people are like, oh, we've been at it for a year and we've only moved half the stuff. I'm like, you're above average. You're doing so great. Stop being so hard on yourselves. I find like a lot of clients and like, stop being so hard on yourself. You're doing fine. Oh. And the other thing is with DevSecOps. So a lot of places are like, yeah, we're doing DevOps. Okay, so we have like nine dev teams that we're aware of and two of them have a pipeline and one of them let us put a security check in it. Uh, and then they're like, we're failures. I'm like, no, no, you're not. You are not failures at all, right? Like, oh my gosh, people are so hard on themselves. What's a, the what's a benchmark then to point? What's a, what's a good benchmark for an organization? So you mentioned the example of taking five years for migrating and yeah. then people thinking they're DevSecOps, but then they have out of the 10 DevOps team they may have, only yeah, one like, or two of them are really integrated in security. What's a, what's a good benchmark? Even if it's one, I feel it's a decent benchmark, I guess, to start off. I, I would say that the first thing for moving to the cloud, the first thing you would want to do is all new development would happen in the cloud. Okay. Right? Like yeah. All new things that you build will be there. Does that make sense? And then yeah. slowly make a lift and shift plan or heard of doing an application portfolio management exercise no um so it's like forgive me for saying gartner because for some <laughs> people it's a swear word 
But oh Lord, they, Tanya has sinned. I know. It's like <laughs> they have this, like this thing, and it's it works. Like you go through all of your applications and you look at them, and you're like, you know, these two are sort of the same, and maybe they could just be one. Or like, you know, we have these sticks, but people only use this part of them, right? And so I worked somewhere, and we had 72 apps, and we squished it down to like 20. So we got rid of some and then added some functionality to other ones to cover the stuff. Cause like when you look at an old legacy app, yeah. people are usually only using like 10 or 20% of it or yeah. maybe 30% and they don't need the other 70% of that functionality. So if you're going to rewrite it, you don't need that. And a lot of times there's a product that already exists that does most of it. Yeah. Right. So we like, just managed to throw away into the garbage a whole bunch of like old things rather than rewriting them and, and moving them. So first you have to take inventory, right? Like of all the things you have. Yeah. And then you can get a complete picture of your security posture. So that's usually the thing I say is like, let's make sure you know of all your apps. Uh, I'm not going to get into like the list of different ways to do that, but we'll get a complete list of all your stuff and then see where you're actually at and what your tech stack looks like. Because some places, their tech stack is like a jungle. They have like 20 applications, like programming languages. Like there's like four different APIs that their devs are using. But some of them, they're like, okay, so we're 95%.net and 5% PHP. Okay, oh. well maybe that PHP stuff, for a lot of reasons, could turn into .net. And then you could have like just a big, huge dot like and then you only have to worry about like one tech stack right and then yep. try to get everyone onto the same framework version and then, do you know what i mean and like when yep. you do things like that yeah um, yep. and like for devops if you're gonna use azure you can make a devops pipeline template and you can enforce it in azure yep. so every new pipeline has to have these security checks like it automatically builds them in all right Right, so that's I'm a good one as well. I think so. To your point, uh, if someone's listening to this and starting off, well, it's a mountain to climb. Where do I start? St step one: new applications go into cloud first. Okay. Step two: application portfolio management to assess what you okay. really need to move into the cloud and what you need to get rid of. Probably a good time to also identify things which just, for sovereign data sovereignty reason, cannot be moved out at all, okay. or government stuff, I guess. Um, the so the third step after that is like okay how do we then we go into the pipeline i guess does it change yeah. from a security standpoint then where most of the organizations may have a lot of deployments already would have happened before and now they're like hey security and they're like oh you've been doing this for a year now i had no idea i call it shady it like yes shadow it oh i mean um, i call it shady it but i know shadow it <laughs> <laughs> like those guys are shady yeah it's kind of like a shady things that people are doing um yeah so have you got some recommendation on those like how do they go about doing that in the azure world oh so shadow it is pretty obvious in the azure world i'm sure the same with aws is mm -hmm. that like if it's in your subscription you're gonna see it right yeah can you sign up separately though as in for a subscription like yeah so that's the thing i was gonna say yeah. i uh a student that used to work for me, she was showing me her app for work. And I was like, why did the URL change? Why did the domain change when I went to your page? She's like, oh, you know, the governmental service that provides our infrastructure, which in Canada, everyone knows what that means, um, wouldn't give me a server that I wanted. So I just took my credit card out and cha-ching AWS oh. made my own. And I was like, I have to tell on you now. 
Yeah. <laughs> like I don't want Canadians to go to your page and it's not. Ah! Yeah. So I got her to talk to her boss and tell him. Yeah. I was like, no, because it won't follow. And she's like, I know, but all that stuff is so slow. And I'm like, you know what? It's really fast to make a crappy app that's very insecure. Mm-hmm. You can do that very quickly if mm-hmm. you want to. <laughs> so is there like a function in Azure? I guess if you're an enterprise listening to this and you may come to know the story that, oh, there has been some Azure instances running in the background. Can I'm assuming there's like an account manager, someone they can reach out to and find out who else from the organization with a corporate email would be doing this, I guess. Um, so to search the corporate email address, I'm not sure how that would work. Like, I'm sure they can do it, right? but I don't know what that's called. I know that, um, there's like an account manager and like, there's a thing to show you your expenses and help you manage them. And oh, sweet. Cause I guess where I'm going with this is if a person listening to this is in that situation, they can probably reach out to an account manager and find out to, are they aware of any other people who may be trying to reach out to them or want some service or has a subscription? Yeah. Yeah. Basically like your account manager, your person. Yeah. And, and they Sweet. do everything. For so you. basically if you have, if you have this kind of scenario before you do step one, two, three, that which you mentioned earlier, do a consolidation exercise just to find out who else is out there in the jungle. Yes. Yes. And it's unfortunately an uncomfortable exercise because you're going to find out things that might make you unhappy. But so, I'd rather know the bad news. I'd rather yeah, know it. Yeah, fair enough. I've got one more question. What, what do you think people are not talking about cloud security? It could be an Azure context, but what are they not talking about cloud security? Training. I feel like they're just, we're throwing people into things and we're not giving them the security training necessary to to know how to do it right. And it, to it DevOps people or security people? Both. Like Both. I feel that the devs and the ops folks and the DevOps folks yeah. should, should all be getting like, like I feel if you're getting tech training, it should include how to do the thing you're doing securely. Like if you were learning how to change a light switch in an electrical class, they would teach you how to do it safely. Right. So that you That's don't right. get electrocuted and you don't burn down the house. That's Good right. job. Right? Yeah. We give people lessons like, and we, and we teach them like, you know, this is how you like create a serverless app and blah, 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 but we don't teach them how to create it to make sure it's secure. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like you have to pay a lot extra if you want to learn the security right now or take a separate extra course. And it's just not in the budget for a lot of people or even like on the, the radar. And it's like, this is how you code this in Python. I'm like, that's wildly insecure. Oh my gosh. I, I hope that we will make a switch uh, in the 20s. 2020. Uh, someone actually told me yesterday, uh, happy new decade. And I'm like, why is it a decade? But that's a whole different story. I, I was going to say, as someone who would be going through a training exercise, um, that makes me think, or someone who's gonna maybe looking at training exercise, most of the Google searches or most of the YouTube searches, any dev ops or DevOps people would do, they would be, how do I deploy an application? They don't talk about, they don't search, how do I securely deploy an application? Such an interesting yeah. way to even, because when you mentioned like, actually that's true. In training, people don't, like the, if you don't tell them, they would not know. But because their job profile doesn't really call it out that oh, you should deploy things securely, they would not Google search that. It is my opinion that security is everybody's job. Like it's your job to do your like your responsibilities, your duties at work in the most secure way that you know how. Yeah. And 
it's your company's responsibility to make sure you know how to, what that means, it right? Does. Like, I can't just expect that help desk knows, oh, that's <laughs> ransomware, we should call the security team. Yeah. I, used to do that. I was like, why can't they just read my mind? But I discovered <laughs> that is not a good strategy for life. And instead, I should like tell them exactly what I want from them. Like, I'm the security team. I need you to call me if you see this, this, or this. Yeah, perfect. Um, it's, it's a good way to go into our next segment as well. It's called the unicorn segment. And oh. I would love for you to share um, what do you feel your superpower is? And what, what do you love talking about? I would say that my security superpower is explaining things to people in a way that they understand. And then they can go do it. Ooh. Um, I, I was kind of hoping you would share your mentoring Monday part as well in there. Oh, okay. So, um, an I mean, not, not that I'm, I'm just a little bird told me about this mentoring Monday thing. I thought people should. I have a couple of little online initiatives. So, Wednesdays, I'm doing security win Wednesdays. So, I have a hashtag security win, and people are just sharing wins and positive news because we always just complain about bad things. Oh. What if we talk about when we win? So, people are sharing with me on Wednesdays cool stuff that Ooh. they've done. Sounds like I should release a podcast on a Wednesday then as part of a security win that we can just share that story as well. Yeah. Um, And then I also run Mentoring Mondays, which is a hashtag Mentoring Mondays. Um, And then it um, basically I'm matching people with professional mentors. Even if, you know, it's just, hey, you should follow these people and here's a book or introductions to key people but some people are meeting in person and having like long-term mentoring relationships. Some people are helping people find their first job. The community has really stepped up in a wonderful way. And for your listeners, if you have worked in your field for two or more years, you are qualified to be a mentor. What that means is someone else wishes that they could have your job, that they were qualified enough to be able to do a job like yours. And there's a lot and a lot of people that want to get into our industry and there's no formalized really obvious way for them to do it there's no like i took this course and now i can do this that's why people keep talking about certs online like what is this magical cert that i can take and then i'll get a job that's what people want people want their first chance they want guidance and so mentoring monday is trying to just help and match people so much so many of us have had such a varied background as well and such a varied pathway into security Mm-hmm. And I always find these questions when people ask about, I'm doing this security plus certification. Would this help me get a job? I'm doing this, I don't know, something else certification. And I always feel it's an interesting one where certification may be good for someone who's not coming from a security background. But I always find the best way somehow has been if you work in an organization as a dev or an ops or a DevOps person, you probably are in a better state to switch to security because. Security is still, I mean, we are living in a time where a lot of automation is coming in. Traditional security has not been about automation. And, mm-hmm. But the DevOps folks, folks are leading the charge. We need more people from the DevOps guys to change into security champions. I feel like, but when I tell that to people, they're like, but that's going to take a while. I'm like, yeah, it, it does take time. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. happen in one day. You do a cert and you get a job next day. That, that's very rare. But that's yeah. just my experience. Is that your experience as well? Yes. I actually, um, so a lot and a lot of people come to me because of my 
public speaking and yeah. my blogging and they ask like you know will you mentor me and i can't mentor everyone obviously so that's why i created mentoring mondays um but then when i worked at microsoft they always talked about how they could scale me because they're like there's just one tanya yeah they would say to everyone just to be clear but yeah. like you know the cloning machine isn't isn't finished yet so still that happens. <laughs> like, how could we make you you know not have to work lots more hours but instead how could we do things so we would scale you so yeah. you know rather than flying to speak somewhere stream rather than um you know texting each person you know people would ask me the same question a lot so i would write a blog post so then wow. i could just reply with the blog post because everyone kept asking that question yeah right and so then i thought about it i'm like i should write a book so i am writing a book with all Ooh, of my nice. knowledge in it and it has like code of course because i'm a nerd um but it it has like clear casual language explanations like with simplified language and then yeah. also stories of alice and bob from cryptography <laughs> of course and how it affects like real people's lives so like why does framing a website matter well bob yeah. was on this website and he was doing blah and so it, it sees how like it weaves things into their lives yep and not in like a blaming way because i feel like we blame users a lot it's like you know alice is a highly intelligent woman but she still makes mistakes sometimes and she yep. clicked on the link right and and what we can do about that so um i have totally submitted chapter two now to my Ooh, <laughs> when is the release so, date or do you have a uh, is that is that how it works months. around six months, six months now. yeah so Ooh. i have to get moving yeah looking looking <laughs> forward to it editors are on me can you share the name of the book or is that still a secret oh, yeah it's called alice and bob learn application security and if it oh. goes well i hope alice and bob will learn devsecops incident response etc oh looking hope. forward to it on our next segment which is fun questions i've <laughs> i've got three questions for you which are totally not security related uh could be if you want it to be so the first question what do you spend most time on when you're not working on cloud security or technology um i hang out with friends a lot and i also i really like to cook i follow like the whole foods paleo type of food lifestyle so i don't oh. eat like, grains cuz when i do i feel really bad so i like Okay. I'm like obsessed with recipe books and then so I like to have people over and cook for them and vice versa. So uh, that kind of makes me feel like the next question plays in really well. What is something that you're proud of but is not on your socials like LinkedIn or Twitter? I used to be a professional musician and I released five solo albums and uh yeah, wow. I also I like, had a live DVD and um I I played all over the place and uh and then I was like in a lot of bands too. It was like a lot of music. What, what genre of music? Um, so I did folk music solo and then I did. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you really liked the episode, we would appreciate if you could give us a five star rating or leave us a review on iTunes. We would also appreciate if you have any feedback, you would want us to cover a particular topic, reach out to us on our socials. You can search for Cloud Security Podcast or you can reach out to me. I'm on Twitter on Hashish Rajan or just you should see me on the Cloud Security show notes page. See you next time.